0: morning, special thanks to Convrio and Holly Carpenter, who uh, joined us here in the sanctuary, not this morning. Unfortunately, we can't have them during this season of COVID, um, but they were so kind as to come this week, and our great VCTV crew uh, gathered here and recorded that, so I just want to say thank you. It's, it's a strange happening here. But, praise the Lord, we can still be blessed and encouraged by the good music of our young musicians from roger 's school. So praise the Lord for that, and also, just before we begin, I have to say, I hope that you are all getting the email that we send to you if you 're not getting a a weekly email or at other times more than weekly, then you 're missing out on important information so You can, um, there's no way for you to fill out anything here in the sanctuary because of, again, our regulations during this COVID season. But let us know by phone call or by email that you want to be included on the email list with your address and you'll be receiving important information, which included this week the announcement that vaccinations were being given at Walla Walla University on Monday. So had you been a part of our email list, you would have known about that and been able to avail yourself of that. So important information we want you to be able to receive and know about. So uh, hope that for you in the future. Let's pause for a moment as we seek God's blessing and guidance as we study His Word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, speak to us now. Thank you for your Word. That is a lamp and a light to us. And thank you for leading us in the path of of eternal life and heaven through Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Have you ever done something bad, so bad that you worry that your life may be derailed? Have you ever done something that bad? Have you ever found yourself in the midst of a mistake of your own doing, a mistake so bad that it hurts you? and damages others near or dear to you? Have you ever, in a moment, cried out in anguish for some deep, persistent failure? Some failure that threatens to take you off the rail for your future and hurt others that you care for as well? Have you ever had a a moment like that? Well, I want to welcome you to Jacob's Wrestling. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Here we're on a journey through the Bible this year, and we're hovering over what we are calling the greatest stories ever lived, stories that inspire faith, stories that instruct us to how to um, move through the struggles of our own and... Follow a better way, God's way, God's way to life forever and life, the happiest life with Him. So we've spent a bit of time with Sarah and Abraham last week in conversations with God. We've witnessed and been inspired by the beautiful act of Rebecca and her generosity as she not only gave water to um, the stranger, but also... Watered a caravan of of camels. And today we're going to spend some time with Israel's namesake, Jacob. History, the history of Jacob in God's word, spreads over more chapters than any other particular person. And it really culminates, Jacob's story culminates in the chapters that we'll look at today in one powerful, one life transforming, one name-changing episode when he wrestles with God. In a nutshell, in a nutshell, Jacob's story is one that we might call just a continuous struggle, continuous struggle, beginning before he passes through the birth canal and, well, and even till the, to the end of his life. But here, here we find ourselves with Jacob. Isaac and Rebekah prayed 20 years for a child, and God answers that prayer with twins. And in the womb, two boys are wrestling with each other. Two boys are jostling, and Rebekah asks God what's happening to her. He wants to know. She wants to know what's happening in her, and in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, it says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people from within you will be separated, one people will be stronger than the other, and the other, older will serve the younger. So here God says, it's a prediction, a promise, a, a prophecy, two nations are within, two peoples Exchanging blows within her in a certain sense. They're as different as night and day. They're as distinct in appearance. One ruddy and hairy. They're opposite in temperaments. One is rugged, tough, daring. The other more quiet, meditative in disposition. And and also they're particularly... Uh, divided and divisive because one is being cherished by a mother and the other will be cherished by his father. And the prophecy describes that these two children would be two nations. Two would come from these twins. And the younger one would become greater than his brother, which is, of course, opposite to custom natural order, but it's a picture of God's grace. A picture of God's grace. His grace is never one that is depicts one over the other, or one in place of another, or one better than another. But God does choose. God's grace does choose. But when he chooses, God's grace and his choice is always to extend and to embrace, and to include others. That's why God chooses. He blesses without exclusion, and his choice is to bring a blessing to the world. Jacob, the second from the womb, yes, he may be weaker, but his weakness will become his strength. And that's where Jacob's story takes us, and where our story joins his, because that's true for all of us. Whether you know it or not, your weakness is really God's strength. Because in human weakness, in human power, in our position, in our prestige, in our our influence, that all is a barrier oftentimes to God's work in our lives and God's work in us and through us for the world. Not Not because God just wants the upper hand. Not because God prefers weaklings. That's not the reason but it's because human need, my need, my sensing of my need is the conduit for God's power. That's how it happens. And that's Jacob's story. But not quite yet. Not quite yet. Because to know Jacob's story, at least the wrestling part of the story is to know Jacob's name. Jacob's name. So, it's, it was, in Jacob's time, a well-used name. It actually meant, may he be at the heels. And it was interpreted this way, may God be your rear guard. So it was a good name, a, a name that pronounced a, a, a positive future. But it also lended itself, the name itself, lent itself to some, a negative sense as well. And Jacob fulfilled that part of it. It means also that he took by the heel, or he seizes by the heel. In other words, he supplants, he overreaches. And if there's one thing that you can say about Jacob's story, it's exactly that. He overreaches, he supplants. Jacob, Jacob knew about the revelation. Jacob knew about the prophecy that God had given his mother about him, that That the birthright should fall to him, that he would be the inheritor of the promise. And surely Esau, his brother, did as well. They knew about the privileges that that would confer, they knew about the wealth that would go to the person who would would receive that, and they also knew the requirements and responsibilities that went with that. They knew about God's covenant that he extended to Abraham years before their great grandfather and to all their descendants they knew about the promised land they knew about the spiritual leadership they knew about the coming of the promised one the hoped one the messiah they knew all these things unfortunately esau the older one was more interested in well in the immediate in the here and now what's happening today what would bring him pleasure what would bring him enjoyment what would bring him profit and privilege today that was esau jacob jacob on the other hand he wasn't interested in that jacob he had a deep belief in god's promises he saw that his family's place in earth's history and in God's plan was of utmost importance. That's Jacob. And he he honored and valued the, the spiritual heritage, the heritage of his family. And he was excited. He was enthusiastic. He was eager. He, he thought, wow, this will be so wonderful to be in the very center of this whole thing. But Jacob was too eager to wait for God to bring it about. And so he thought he would bring it about. He was too eager and he really didn't trust that God would bring it about soon enough. And so Jacob became a grasping one. Jacob became one who would reach for and take by intrigue by seizing through trickery. That was Jacob. So, as it happened, you know the story. We're going to breeze through this because we want to get to that high point. But you know the story. Esau, his older brother, came in from the country one day, famished. Saw Jacob there cooking a pot of stew, lentils, possibly. And he begged for some. He was just starving and He saw the the stew that Jacob was preparing, and Jacob grasped for a promise that he should have let God take care of. And he said, Esau said, verse number 30 to 34, that Genesis 25 reads, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright, look. Said Esau, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentils and stew, lentil stew. He ate and drank, then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Yes, Esau despised despised it he spurned that privilege that he should have cherished that he should have valued he despised what was a a priceless possession but Esau was living out God's prediction not because he had to but because that was his nature but I have to ask myself as you maybe ask yourself looking at this story what brother would treat a brother this way What brother would make a famished brother sell his birthright to get some food? Now, yes, it's true. Esau foolishly surrendered his birthright for a momentary pleasure, for, you know, assuaging his his hunger. And he forever, after that, considered this act impulsive and regretted it. But the way that Jacob took Advantage of his brother just stuck in Esau's craw from that time and forever. Esau felt tricked, Esau felt taken advantage of by Jacob. Jacob's grasping, Jacob's overreaching his birthright in this birthright episode created an animosity between them, a bitter animosity. But nothing like nothing like the seething rivalry that resulted, and hatred, the hatred that resulted from the trickery that came next, regarding his father's blessing. That's what next. What's next in the story? We don't know how much longer after that it was. But you remember the story. Father Isaac is getting old. He can hardly see, and he figures it's about time for me to confer the blessing on my firstborn. Genesis chapter 27, verses 2 to 4, take up the story. It says, I'm old now, an old man. and I don't know the day of my death. This is Isaac. Now, now then, get your equipment. He's speaking to Esau. Get your equipment, your quiver, your bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me so that I may eat and so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Rebecca is listening. She corrals Jacob into a plan that will bring him the blessing instead of brother Esau. And their plan works. Isaac is deceived. Jacob is irrevocably blessed. And Esau seals his heart for revenge. He'll kill his brother. Verse, tw- verse 41 of chapter 27. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. What a mess. What a mess. And for what? For what? Just think of it. The blessing Jacob and Rebekah deceived for was God's to give, not theirs to take. God didn't need them. He didn't need mom and son to do wrong to bring about this blessing. Their efforts just fueled the angst that was already there and resulted in Jacob's fleeing from home forever. And he'd never see his mother alive again. So, leaving home under the pretense, and you can read it later on this, this afternoon if you wish, f- fleeing home under the pretense that he's seeking a wife and has a blessing of his father for that anyway, seeking a wife from his mother's relatives, Rebecca's relatives, and fearful for his life, a fugitive from his own home, think of it, think of his situation, Dreading that he may have lost the blessing that God had promised to give him forever, dreading that, Jacob feels himself an absolute outcast. What's even worse, he knew that the troubles had come upon himself because of his own poor, grasping, self-seeking choices, which were his nature, by choice, but by habit. And he was afraid that that at this moment, God himself had abandoned him. Genesis 28, verse 11 says, taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And then as one Bible commentator says, in a supreme display of divine grace, unsought, unstinted, divine grace. Amazing grace. God meets Jacob with an angelic retinue and all. It's an amazing story. Jacob with his head down on the rock, dreaming, sees a ladder reaching from earth to heaven. And angels are streaming up and down. It's not just a ladder, by the way. The Hebrew suggests something more like a stairway. God took Jacob by surprise. Isn't it interesting? There's no criticism, there could have been. There's no rebuke. there may have should have been, we may think. No demand, just just a stream of assurances to this, this man, this Jacob, this striver. Notice chapter 18, verse 13 to 15. it says this: Here's God speaking to Jacob there. At the, at the ladder and the angels streaming up and down, standing at the top of the ladder of the stairway. I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. And will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Look at that promise. Amazing promise. Amazing grace. God's grace and love. God shows that He's, as Terry said in his story, He's the only connection between heaven and earth, the only way. And it's only by God's grace, God's gift that anyone will be there, that there's any connection between heaven and earth, and that connection only comes through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, and it's by God's gift that it comes. Jacob, on the other hand, he was a scheming, (coughs) a conniving, a grasping, distrustful servant, but God gives him this beautiful picture And this wonderful promise with all those assurances. As I like to read just a sentence from Patriarchs and Prophets, a beautiful sentence on this one story here. The Lord compassionately revealed just what Jacob needed. A savior. That's what he needed. (coughs) That's what you need. That's what I need. A savior. And Jacob responds. He says, God, God, I. I will do, if you'll do that for me, I'll do all this for you. I'll stay connected. I'll I'll, restore, I'll rejoice in your grace. I'll be glad for your blessings. <coughs> because God is the God who takes care of all of Jacob's physical needs. Because God is the God who is the source of everything he has. Everything that comes to him is from God. Because God is the one who, gives him everything, Jacob responds and says in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 22, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And let me just pause for a moment, although this isn't the theme of our story, but still it's important. You know, tithe is never a gift. When I give tithe, it's never a gift. Tithe is always a giving back. And that's what Jacob was doing. He saw all the blessings that were coming, that that was coming his way. And he says, God, I'm going to give. I'm going to return to you. I'm going to give back to you a tithe. A tithe, really, at its root, is a natural response of belief in God. If you believe in God, tithing is a natural response to your Savior, to your Lord. So, anyway... Jacob, from that experience, amazed by God's grace and love and forgiveness and restoration and and his presence with him, Jacob finally arrives at Laban's home, and this turns out to be the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's mother. Interesting. This was the one who met Eliezer, Abraham's servant, at the well, and a sister, his sister who watered the camels. So it's, it's Laban's daughters, Rachel and Leah, that, that Jacob marries. Amazing coincidence. God's providence. But it's Laban's daughters now, Rachel and Leah, that Jacob marries, but it's one that comes by trickery and the other by love. It seems as though... Jacob has met his match in Laban. In greedy and deceitful Laban, Jacob the schemer, Jacob the deceiver himself, Jacob the conniver, Jacob meets his match in Laban. And also, Jacob meets his discipline. 20 years. With Laban. 20 years of drudgery, 20, 20 years of friction, 20 years with Laban weathered Jacob's character. It may be that you have a Laban in your life, <laughs> someone who, is, who God is using to weather you a bit, to smooth off the rough, rough age, uh, edges, if you, if you please. And someone to, to create in you a, a character more like God's. Maybe you have a Laban in your life. But anyway, Laban, he exploits Jacob. He ex- exploits he, him as a worker. He deceives him. Deceives him into marriage, marrying his daughter Leah after working seven years and then working a second seven for Rachel, the one he loved. And then, by the way, if you look at Laban... And put his name backwards, it spells Nabal. Now, if you know the story in the Old Testament, you know who Nabal is. He's a selfish, harsh, unthankful, churlish man whose only saving grace was his intelligent and beautiful wife. But Laban, he's just like it, just like Nabal. He's hard, he's a grinding taskmaster to Jacob who cheated Jacob whenever he could. He robbed him at every corner. He changed his wages at random and for his own benefit. And as one commentator put it, Laban, in Laban, Jacob drinks deeply of his own medicine of duplicity. I think that says it so well. Yet Laban, Never had a worker, never had a faithful servant like his, his nephew Jacob, never. And God blesses Laban for Jacob's sake. And in this land where Jacob finds himself, this land of lessons and character development and challenge with Laban, God blesses him during this time with 11 sons and one daughter, through two wives and, and two surrogates, which, which, which itself becomes an enduring lesson that we don't need to say anything about now, but we'll, we can see for, from generations on. But finally, God nudges Jacob to go back home to go back home to his relatives, to his father and his relatives. And he gives him an, an assurance. He says in Genesis chapter 31 and verse number 3, I will be with you. I will be with you, says God. And then as a token of his divine care, God sends two angels, apparently, one before and one after, to go before and stay behind him as he moves toward, back toward his homeland, surrounding his company. So Jacob sets off for home, and he was certainly relieved, I think, to be leaving his, the unsavory company of Laban. But in my mind, as Jacob begins to retrace this road that he had traveled as a fugitive 20 years before, as he retraces it, it brought back even greater waves of fear and anxiety. What would he meet? What would Esau do? Jacob remembers the reason why he left. He remembers his deception. He remembers his grasping. He remembers his lies. He remembers his subterfuge that brought his exile. He remembers all of that. And he realizes that it was him doing that that brought the embitterment that now threatens his life. It was his doing that now places his own family in danger. And he's struggling deeply over that. He tries to remedy it by sending messengers to to Esau to scout out his brother's disposition. But they return with news that Jacob dreaded hearing. Genesis chapter 32, verse 6. We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Just put yourself in Jacob's situation. It was his worst nightmare. Looking back on Jacob's distress, the prophet Jeremiah framed it well. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, he said, It is the time of Jacob's trouble. It truly was. Time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob is distraught. He's distraught over the strife that he's caused. He's caused himself. He's caused his brother Esau. He's caused his family because of his own selfish, self centered, grasping nature. And he feels right there at that moment as he hears this that he is the one. He's the one who's created this. And he feels so unworthy before God. And he wonders whether he'll still. Whether God will still forgive him. Forgive him for his guilt, for his shame, and for his deception. He does all he can do to mediate this disaster for himself and his family. He sends drove drove after drove of animals, goats and cows and bulls and donkeys and camels, one after the other after the other, all of them with a message to his brother. This is a present, a present to my Lord Esau from your servant Jacob. Get those words, my Lord Esau from your servant Jacob. For he said, verse 32, I mean verse 30, 20 of, of chapter 32, for he said, Jacob said, I will appease him with the, the present that goes before me, and after word I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So what, what, what's Jacob doing? He's again grasping. He's again striving. He's again reaching out and trying to pacify the rage of this, this, his own deceit that has created this issue and he tries to pacify it with bribes and finally he separates himself sends his wife and children across the river Jabbok and now he's alone to, to wrestle with this situation that appears to be and is beyond his, his power to moderate it's time of Jacob's Struggle. Jacob's struggle. Chapter number 32 and verse 24, it comes, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Jacob will later later say that this man was God. Jacob wrestled with God. He said in verse number uh, 30 of chapter 32, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Yes, a man God wrestled with Jacob. Jacob was completely overwhelmed. It was dark. He didn't know what was happening. He was unprepared, but he didn't give up. He didn't give up. This conflict brought Jacob's lifetime of defiance against God and dependence. On God. His devotion and love for God and his grasping and self centered ambitions, they came in conflict, those two. His defiance and his dependence on God, his devotion and love for God, and his own grasping, self centered ways. They came into one extreme struggle right there. Jacob wrestled with God. It wasn't against Esau. It wasn't against Laban or anyone else that Jacob had been at odds with, although he had been at odds with them, but that wasn't the source of it. He had been at odds with God, with God's plan. His struggle struggle was with God. His struggle was with surrender to God, to surrender to God's ways, to God's will, to God's plan for his life. To Jacob, he saw the trickery. He saw that that subterfuge would bring him his blessing, that would bring him his birthright. His fraud and deceit would bring him a blessing. But it was really his lack of trust in God. Jacob saw that. He had been trying by his own plans. He had been trying by his own effort to make make things happen with something that only God can make happen. In his, God's own time. In God's own way. If only Jacob would allow him to. If Jacob would only surrender to him. It was, by the way, it was, it's, it's interesting to me that it was this man, as the Bible says, God, who initiated the battle. I've oftentimes thought of it as Jacob initiating the battle. That he brought came into the the match with God but it wasn't it was God who wrestled with Jacob it was God's battle it was God who keeps the battle going and I've often thought of I've thought about this why is it and it says in in Genesis 32 verse 25 he saw that he did not prevail against him God saw that he did not prevail against him could God have prevailed Absolutely, God have, could have prevailed easily. The fact that he doesn't prevail is an is a expression of his grace. It's an expression of his love because he knows that he needs to keep wrestling with Jacob until he frees Jacob from this, this problem of his, of his life, this problem of surrender. So he engages Jacob. He struggles with Jacob. Jacob. He wrestles with Jacob. And I have to say, that's exactly what he does with you and me. He struggles with us. He wrestles with us. But he does it gently. He does it with mercy. Because he doesn't want to hurt us. He wants to save us. That's what he wants to do. A simple touch puts Jacob's hip out of joint. Jacob knows, I'm not wrestling with man. I'm wrestling with God. He knows it. And he knows that it's his character that is at stake. Jacob knows it. Jacob knows that his own doubts, his own struggle, his own doubts with God bringing the blessing the way God wants to bring it, his own, his own under, underhanded ways with others That has been at the root of everything in his life. Root of all his problems. The root of all of his challenges. Jacob knew. Jacob knew that he had sinned. He had sinned against God in that. He had sinned against others in that. He had created damage to relationships and reputation. He knew. He knew that only God could help him. That only God could save him. That only God could heal him. This baby, this baby who forced his destiny by grabbing the heel of his brother at birth. This young man who forced his brother to give up his birthright. This adult who lied to his father and cheated his brother to get a blessing. This man knows he's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with God. He's in God's presence. And he knows that this one alone, this one alone can save. This one alone can restore. This one alone can bless. This one alone can bring hope. And he will not let go until he is sure of it. The man asks, his name. He knows his name. God knows us all by name. He asks his name. Jacob. The cheater. Jacob, the heel grabber. Jacob, the one who strives to control his destiny. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will be Israel. For you have struggled With God and with men and and prevailed. There's that's not a small thing to have a name changed, especially back in those days. To change your name meant to change your identity, to change your destiny, to change your character. Jacob's new name, Israel, was a sign. It was a statement. Jacob, you are forgiven. Jacob, you are restored. Jacob you are new again Jacob's new name meant that he had been he had been forgiven the man says Jacob has wrestled with God and with men notice that he's wrestling with God right now but he says you've wrestled with God and with men that's been Jacob's life his relationship with God and his relationship with men have been compromised and they both are integrated they're both together together How he gets along with God impacts how he gets along with men. How he gets along with men impacts how he gets along with God. The man gives Jacob a new name. He says, Israel is your name. Now, Israel literally means God fights. Literally, God fights. And you know, it will always be a reminder to Jacob of his own personal struggles and who is the one who is to fight for that. God fights. He'll have to learn that it's God who will fight his battles for him, not himself. God will fight for him. And although the man dislocates Jacob's hip with a touch... The story says that Jacob prevailed. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? With a touch, his hip is dislocated. But it's said that Jacob prevails. Jacob prevails only because he allows God to prevail over him. And that's the same way we prevail. That's how we win by letting God prevail over us. From that time forevermore, Jacob will walk with a limp. It would be a forever reminder to him that this was no dream, that this struggle was real, this conflict, this this wrestling with God. Jacob's pain that he would feel with every step that he took told him that divine strength is found in human surrender. In human weakness. It's a lesson that Paul learned as well. When he said. When I am weak. Then I am strong. It's a lesson that all of us need to learn. That our strength is in God. Jacob has become a new person. And he's headed for a new destiny. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us that this struggle that Jacob has had, this challenge at the Jabbok, is a picture of the challenge that every one of us will have as Jesus returns to planet Earth. A time of Jacob's struggle. A time of Jacob's trouble. It says, Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, as we read before, Alas, for that day is great, so that no none is like it, It is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Yes, Jacob's experience, this this experience we've been talking about, his struggle with God, represents the spiritual experience that believers will face before Jesus comes back. Every one of us will struggle, just like Jacob struggled His struggle was with deceitfulness and all that it caused him. Caused him and his family. He struggled with the crushing self-reproach that his selfish grasping had caused and brought him all his life and brought danger even to his loved ones. He struggled with that, with self-reproach. And it's it's the same sort of self-reproach that we as followers of Jesus will face when we are at that last day of our lives and Jesus is soon to return. And we're looking into our own characters, into our own lives, and seeing all the challenges, all the problems, all of our own defects. It's a time of trouble, a time of struggle. But I love what these sentences in the great controversy say. They are revealing It is in this life that we are to separate sin from us. Through faith in the atoning blood of Christ, our precious Savior invites us to join ourselves to Him, to unite our weakness to His strength, our ignorance to His wisdom, our unworthiness to His merits. Will you do that this morning? That's what He's appealing to us today in this story. It's our struggle, not Jacob's. It's our wrestling, not his When you look at your life as I look at my life the burden of hurt and pain that I brought is because of my sin because of my errors because of my ways because of the things I do and think and my overwhelming battle is surrender surrender to God surrender to God surrender everything to Him And find my strength in Him instead of in my own ways, my own plans, my own devising. And to rest in His saving grace. And His grace will be for us just like it was for Jacob during his time of trouble. Because the promise is as sure for us as it was for Jacob. This is what it says look again, it is the time of Jacob's trouble but he shall be saved out of it that is god's promise to you and me we will be saved out of it by his grace by his mercy as we struggle with him as we wrestle with him with our about our own character defects he will save us he will help us he will strengthen us he will restore us by his grace and his mercy We shall be saved out of it. Amen. Glory to God.